Welcome, welcome. Let's turn to John chapter 3. We're doing John 3 and 4 tonight. Beginning with uh, the introduction to John from our bulletin. We're looking at live eternally. Because John writes his gospel, this is from chapter 20, verse 31, so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. This life is Zoe, Z-O-E, in the Greek. It differs from bios, or biological life. Zoe life is God's life. It is the kind of life that lives forever. It never decays. Though originally assumed to be something attainable only in heaven, John, our gospel writer, John, dares us to find that Zoe life in Jesus today. This is the life God wants us to live right now. A piece of himself within us, a bit of heaven on earth before Jesus returns. Eternal life is not merely life after death, but life before death. So, as one of my commentaries translates, every time the word Zoe is used in the Greek for our English word life, it actually just, in that commentary, just translates the passage as deep, lasting life. And so that's, in a, in a nutshell, what eternal life translates to, is not just uh, breadth of life, but depth of life as well. So now we come to John chapter 3, and we're going to see the famous born-again passage, Nick at Night, as my youth pastor always called it. So Nicodemus, one of the leading Pharisees of the time, in fact, Jesus even calls him the teacher of Israel, comes to Jesus to have a discussion. Then in part 2, we're going to see, um, chapter 4, we're going to see the woman at the well, and Jesus is going to have a discussion with her as well. So two interviews with two very different people. Here we go. Chapter 3, verse 1. Now, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night. Now, though that might have literally been the case, he came to Jesus under the stealth of night, it is, uh, it is widely agreed by commentators that the night here, John, as he does so often in this gospel, everything has a double meaning. So the night Nicodemus is coming to Jesus in is that he is in darkness. And we're going to see that. Jesus, as our intro to John said in, in the first few verses, he was the light who came into the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend him. Well, here is Nicodemus who is in the darkness meeting the light, Jesus. And we're going to see that he has trouble comprehending Jesus the light. So we're going to see that now in play. So he comes to Jesus by night and says to him, Rabbi, that means teacher, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs, miracles, that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? <laughs> and Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, 
and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered, Are you teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Maybe a nod of the head. (laughs) Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If you have told, if I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. Jesus is referring to himself in the third person there. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal zoe. That's the Greek word there, zoe life. So Jesus there says he will be crucified. That's, that's John's phrase for lifted up. That's how he refers to the crucifixion. It's, it's the lowest place you can go, but God's world, things are upside down. And at the cross, Jesus is lifted high above all others. It's his throne. <laughs> now, we saw one double meaning. That was Nicodemus coming to Jesus at night. Another double meaning is the phrase born again. Now, in the Greek, the phrase born again also means born from above. So when Jesus, in his Greek tongue, is telling Nicodemus that you must be born again, Nicodemus can either hear born a second time or born from above. Now, it seems that Nicodemus chooses the born a second time option because his reply, he challenges Jesus's logic. And as rabbis do, they would often ask questions at one another. They didn't do a lot of direct declarations, but they did a lot of questions. And so Nicodemus is challenging Jesus's assertion. What do you mean? Can an old man go back into his mother's womb and come back out? Obviously that sounds really dumb, Jesus. (laughs) So he's having this uh, little poke fun at his idea a high rabbi talking to a rabbi who is making a name for himself, right? Um, so here's, a, here's another one of the double meanings. Does Jesus literally mean born again out of your mother's womb? No, Jesus likely is referring to salvation happens when we're born from above, from the life and spirit of God entering into a human. Then, and Jesus likely really means this both ways, once you're born from above in that way, you become born again in the sense of you're a different person. But Nicodemus doesn't catch the double meaning because he's in the dark. Now, this whole being born from above, it's important because we have gone through our lives um, learning about ourselves from what the world tells us. And our salvation happens when we get to hear what God says about us, not what the world says about us. So in the garden, Adam and Eve were born connected in innocence with God. There was oneness there. 
However, once they ate of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and disobeyed God, it tells us in Genesis 3 that they, their eyes were opened. In other words, that they had this awareness, this self-awareness. They realized that they were individual selves living in a universe that is either going to work for them or against them. And so we, the same way, we're born in this fall. We're born with this self-consciousness, this I'm a self, and I need to make a name for myself. I need to protect myself. I have to distinguish. I have to separate myself from the rest of the world. And we are automatically in a default mode of separated from God. So we uh, are born into this phase of disconnection. However, when Jesus is saying, I want you to be born from above, I want you to be born a second time, born anew, born again, he's offering the invitation to be reconnected with God so that the self that we are living as, and, and we're, we're learning about ourselves because of what the world tells us. It says you should be attractive, you should be aff, uh, affluential, you should uh, have achievements. Uh, we, we try to compare, we learn who we are by comparing our achievements to others. But Jesus comes to Nicodemus and says, look, the things you thought you knew need to go away. It's time to have a new identity formed within you. And you're going to be reborn. You're not going to be disconnected from God, but you're going to be reborn as a reconnected being with God. And God is going to make you who you are. So in a nutshell, if we imagine ourselves as a, con- as a concentric circle, three concentric circles, that's where... Uh, circles go inside of each other. The outer circle is the body. The inner circle is the soul, the immaterial part of us, where we get our identity and have emotions and the heart and the mind. Then the third and inner circle is the spirit. We're born with the spirit dead. So we go around as material beings with bodies and immaterial beings that have needs and we, our needs use the body to get those needs. Um, but when we're born from above, the spirit of God reconnects with the spirit of humanity and the spirit within us is brought to life so that we can connect to God. And then we're living from the spirit outward and the soul is whole and the body's whole. So if you just imagine yourself in those three parts, the problem is the spirit's dead, but new life and new birth happen when God gives us his spirit. And that empty part is filled and we're given life. Um, So born again or born from above. So the dark, it's, uh, yes, it's dark, but Nicodemus is in the spiritual darkness, born from above and born again. And then the other Double use uh, is the word wind in verse 8. It blows where it wishes. It's the Greek word pneuma, which is translated wind, breath, spirit. So right there, when Jesus talks about the spirit and the wind, all within verse 8, he's using the same Greek word, pneuma. So there's another double reference. The spirit goes where it wants. The wind blows where it wants. So it is of those who are born of the pneuma, born of the spirit. That's what it's like. So there is always, when Jesus is talking to Nicodemus, one of the head teachers of Israel, he's using, there's a meaning behind the words that he's saying. There's a deeper layer to his words. And Nicodemus, it just goes right over his head. And we must be careful, even if we think we know so much about the Bible, that the times we spend in scripture are not just about 
letting words just kind of hit us in the eyes and all right, I got it down. But it's about prayerfully meditating through the scriptures as the Jews did, as Psalm 1 says, to continually chew on it, to make those ravenous sounds that a lion makes over his prey. You might remember that message from Peter. Um, that's meditating on scripture. And that's where we hear the second meaning, that deeper meaning of what God has in it. So yes, there's a direct message, but then there's that voice, which is speaking to us at our present moment. And we can listen to that when we let the scriptures wash over us and hang on to them and chew on them. Nicodemus is getting schooled by Jesus. All right. How is this new life going to come? Nicodemus asks in verse 9, how can these things be? How can I get this new Zoe life? Well, Jesus answers him with a rather lengthy verse, but uh, it's in verse 14 that I think he gets right to the heart of it. It says, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must I be lifted up. That whoever believes may have eternal life. So how do we get born again? Easy. It's through crucifixion. It's through death. Yes, the death of Jesus on the cross, but also as we believe in him, the death of our false selves, the part of us that's been severed from God and we're trying to make a name for ourselves, that person has to die and be reborn, born from above. That's how you get there. So we have to die and be reborn, be renewed. And just as Jesus will go before us and set the example and take care of our sin. So that's his answer to him. Now, you might not remember the reference, Moses in the wilderness. This is back when Israel was delivered from Egypt, and they're in the wilderness, and there were serpents in the camp that bit people, and they were dying because these were venomous serpents. And so God told Moses to put a brass serpent on a pole, and those that looked at it would be healed and saved. And so Jesus sees that as a picture of what he's come to earth to do. Verse 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal Zoe life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and the people loved darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed but whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. There is question now as to who's speaking from verses 16 to 21. In the original Greek, there's no punctuation marks. There's no quotations. So you're left to kind of guess who's talking here. Is this John, the writer, who's talking, or is this the words of Jesus? If you have a red-letter Bible, you will find out real quick what your translators decided. If it's in red, Jesus is talking. If it's not, then maybe John is now writing. In my Bible, I don't have a red-letter Bible. Um, 
it's all black and white. I just didn't, I don't know what happened there, but they didn't put red in line. But um, it does have Jesus speaking because it's in quotes from 16 to 21. However, many people suggest that Jesus stopped speaking at the end of verse 15 and that this is John's commentary on the discussion and that John is the one saying for God to love the world. Either way, it's scripture. So it doesn't change its authority. However, it is interesting to wonder who's saying this. Now in verse 22, after Jesus and his disciples went into the Judean countryside and was remained there with them and was baptizing, John also was baptizing at Anaon near Salem because water was plentiful there and people were coming and being baptized for John had not yet been put in prison. Now, a discussion arose between some of John's disciples and a Jew over purification, religious discussions. And they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, teacher, he who was with you across the Jordan to whom you bore witness, Jesus, look, he is baptizing and all are going to him. John answered, A person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given him from heaven. You yourselves bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, the Messiah, but I have been sent before him. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom and the friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. He must increase but I must decrease. What a man. John is not an insecure person who has not been born again. He's not trying to create a self for himself uh, by competing with the world. He knows who he belongs to. That's an example of someone born from above. Verse 31, he who comes from above is above all. And who is of earth belongs to the earth and speaks in an earthly way. He who comes from heaven is above all. He who bears witness to what he has seen and heard, yet no one receives his testimony. Whoever receives his testimony sets his seal to this, that God is true. For he whom God has sent utters the words of God, for he gives the spirit without measure. The father loves the son and has given all things into his hand. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal Zoe. Whoever does not believe, I'm sorry, whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. Mm. So there's this implication, right? The wrath of God is already on us. It's about getting out from under that and coming to Jesus. Now, Jesus, we see his popularity is growing. John the Baptist is diminishing. And John says, this is right. So Jesus, as he's soaring in popularity, does something strange. He leaves the arena of his own fame and leaves and goes elsewhere, always seeking the lower road Jesus was. And there he goes away from the fame and he goes to, of all places, Samaria. Now, before we get into that, Quickly, I want to point out that there are parallels between this conversation with the woman he's about to have in Samaria and Nick at night, Nicodemus, the Pharisee. First, we're going to see that Jesus uses a metaphor to Nicodemus, you must be born from above. To the woman at the well, 
You need living water. So there's a spiritual metaphor at play. In both instances, they totally misunderstand Jesus's meaning. Then Jesus clarifies that he had a deeper meaning than they saw. And when they listen to that, they're confused yet still (laughs) in both episodes. Then we're going to see Jesus give more clarification with a slight rebuke attached to it. You heard him tell Nicodemus, aren't you the teacher of Israel? Like that was a slight rebuke. And then he explained further. He's going to do the same with the woman at the well. And then Jesus identifies who he is. That's the parallels between these passages. Because in its literature, they parallel one another. It's clear that our author, John, who's telling the story of Jesus, wants us to read them together, not separate. With that said, this means that what we see in John 4 is an extension of the idea of being born from above in two ways. First, when he talks about living water, this is the same thing as being born from above. Just a different metaphor for the same truth. May we never limit the communication of the gospel to only one mode of speaking because the gospel's bigger than that. And there are a plethora of metaphors that can be used to teach the gospel. May God grant us creativity and imagination to know how to reach people where they're at. Second, um, we, see, we see the, oh yeah, four is an extension of chapter three because not only is Jesus saying the same thing in two different ways, but uh, Jesus is now modeling what it looks like to be born from above. I'm born from above. Well, now he's going to descend to the humans that need him most, a Samaritan woman. Those who are born above, rather ironically, don't keep moving upward. They start seeking the path downward. And that's what Jesus models. Do you know you're born again? Do you know you're born from above? You're going to start seeking people in low places. That's how you know. So in chapter 4, verse 1, it says that Jesus makes the decision to go to Samaria. In verse 7, verse 6 tells us it's the sixth hour, so it's noon. In verse 7, um, well, before I, right before we read that, there are some differences between these passages, and they stand out as part of the point. So we saw the similarities. The differences are this. Chapter 3, Nicodemus is a man. Chapter 4, this is a woman. Nicodemus is a Jew. This woman is a Samaritan. Why that's important, I'll explain in a minute. Nicodemus is named. The woman is not named. Nicodemus is a religious leader. This woman has a bad reputation. Definitely not a religious leader. Nicodemus comes at night, the woman at noon. And Nicodemus has no reaction to Jesus' teaching. Just, we're not told what he does, although we see later he helps bury Jesus, so he knows his ultimate decision, but not yet. Uh, and then the woman in chapter 4, she immediately goes and witnesses and brings others to Jesus. So those are your differences. All right, so verse 7. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Now Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, sir, here's where she doesn't understand. You have nothing to draw with, water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? 
And he asked a few questions about Jacob. In chapter, uh, verse 13, Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal Zoe. The woman said to him, still she doesn't understand, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. She's talking about physical water still. And then Jesus said to her, go, call your husband and come here. Uh, mm, well, you see, I have no husband. Jesus said, you are right in saying I have no husband for you have had five husbands and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. Wow, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Yes, duh. <laughs> um, I, I can imagine her looking over like, how far has my reputation spread? I haven't even met this man. No, nah, then she says, you must be a prophet. And then she launches into this question about religion. Where do we worship? Our father said we worship here in Samaria. You Jews say Jerusalem. And then Jesus answers, Women, believe me, we're in verse 21. An hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. Now, he said that to Nicodemus, right? Um, we we uh, teach the things we do know. But here he tells her, you do not know what you worship. And this is the subtle rebuke as he's furthering the explanation. You don't even know what you worship. <laughs> we Jews worship what we know for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here <clears throat> in me when the true worshipers will worship the father in spirit and truth for the father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. So whew, a lot there. Um, we're going to see that Jesus descends, born from above, descending now into places where there are barriers. But he says, I'm not into barriers. I'm beneath that, if you will. I'm going under the barriers and touching people I shouldn't. So here are the four barriers. Place, number one, place. He's in Samaria, which Jews didn't go into. Most, well, we don't know how many, but some Jews would actually go out of their way around Samaria when they had to go places. Samaria is this region right above Jerusalem and under the Sea of Galilee. So it's like no man's land for the Jews. Like, whoa, fly over it quick, get around it, go under it, whatever, just don't touch foot on it. Some Jews even said that by stepping foot in Samaria, you were ceremonially unclean for seven days. Which, by the way, happened to be the same um, number of days if you touched a dead corpse. That was the point. So Jesus not only chooses to go into Samaria, but he's in no hurry. He's sitting at a well talking with a woman. I, I love this place. Number two, gender. Jesus is speaking with a woman. This was a no-no. You didn't speak to women. That was just polite culture. Uh, if they were in your village you could speak to women because you had dealings with them. But this is not even outside his village. This is outside of his nationality. He's speaking with a foreign woman. This is scandalous. Even it says the disciples come up later and like, what is going on? (laughs) 
Number three, he breaks the barrier of purity, the, the religious purity codes. Um, Jesus asked for a drink from a Samaritan. And in verse nine, she alludes to the fact that what you're asking me, a Samaritan, for a drink of water? Now, the Jews wouldn't eat with Gentiles, non-Jews, nor would they eat with Samaritans. And they definitely also wouldn't take a cup from a Samaritan and drink out of it. You'd be unclean. And yet Jesus is asking her directly. She didn't even offer. He's just asking, hey, give me that unclean cup so I can be unclean. He has absolutely no concern for that man-made barrier. And then number four, class. He's breaking the barriers of class. This woman, we find out that she's been sleeping around. And Jesus, so she has a bad reputation. But Jesus has no qualms with being seen talking with her. And quite shockingly alone. Although they are in the open air, that's good. So he breaks those barriers because Jesus is born from above. And he has a concern for those who are at the bottom of society. He's showing us how to approach people who are broken and wounded, not as someone superior than them. Jesus comes to her as an equal and actually puts himself underneath her by saying, can you give me a drink? I need something only you can give me. He's begging. That's how Jesus approaches a hurt and wounded person like this woman at the well. She needed someone not to judge her, tell her she's wrong, but someone who would care for her, tell her that she has value, that she's unique, that she's important, reveal to her that she has a father that she needs to be reconnected with and she too can be born from above. And so Jesus reaches out to her in that way. So the disciples come back. They were getting food for Jesus. And then he strangely tells them, oh, I don't need food. Thanks for getting it anyways. I have food you don't know about. And he's talking about doing God's will. God's will sustains me. Jesus is teaching them that don't live by bread alone. Uh, So they have that conversation. The woman then brings other people from the city out to meet Jesus. And it says that they believe in him. Um, Not because of the woman's word, but because they have now seen it for themselves. Verse 42 They said to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves and we know that this is indeed the savior of the world. So Jesus stays for two days, then departs to go home in Galilee. Verse 46, his second miracle or his second sign more specifically. It's a type of miracle meant to point to his identity. So he came again to Cana in Galilee, where he had made water into wine. And at Capernaum, there was an official whose son was ill. And he asked Jesus if he could come and heal him. And in verse 48, Jesus says to him, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. And the official said to him, sir, come down before my child dies. Jesus said to him, go, your son will live. Just says it. Doesn't have to go touch him, assess the situation, what's wrong with him. Just, your son will live. Just go. Like, just long distance, you know, air, to, like surface to surface missile of healing, if you will. Just, just launches it. And the man goes home and finds that his, his servant is well. And so he asked his um, servants, verse 52, so he asked them the hour when he had gotten better. And they said to him, yesterday, at the 11th hour, the fever left him. The father knew 
That was the hour when Jesus said to him, your son will live. And he himself believed and all his household. This was now the second sign that Jesus did when he had come from Judea to Galilee. And so the signs, again, the purpose of a sign is to point to something. Here's where it is. John's idea with these signs of Jesus is, yes, he has miracles, but the signs are pointing us to the Zoe life, the new creation of God, which he's bringing to us. And everyone who sees the signs, people are believing when they see the signs. Hence, John says in 20 verse 31, I'm writing these things. Jesus did tons of miracles, but I've chosen these signs so that you may believe that he is the Christ, the son of God, and that by believing you may have Zoe in his name. So that's the sign. We're now going to worship and we'll come back and look at living water for an empty well.